Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice and the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. Felt like there was going to be more to that, I, but uh, I, yeah. It also felt like there was like a question mark at the end. And I'm Corwin Heller. Um, anyway, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Thursday episode of the show. We're recording this on uh, May 11th, about a quarter to 8 p.m. here on the East Coast. Uh, the New York Yankees have won yet another series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Suck my fucking balls, Toronto, your shitty ass stadium in your nice ass city. Uh, it's a backhanded and front-handed compliment. You get it both ways, Toronto. Um, but anyway, before we talk lots and lots of baseball talk, I might as well knock the two, count them, two um, football talk t- subjects that we have for today. Um, let's start with the uh, probably the easier one to uh, make fun of or digest or, or whatever. Um Fox Sports uh, has announced that Tom Brady, whenever he chooses to retire, so it's like an open kind of thing, um, although in all likelihood at the end of this next season, um, will begin a 10-year contract as a color commentator with the uh, broadcasting company for their NFL games to the tune of $375 million, 37 and a half K, uh, 37.5 mil per season. That AAV is insane. Um, obviously they're definitely feeling uh, or seeing anyway, the success that guys like Peyton Manning have had with the Monday night broadcast on ESPN and Tony Romo has had on CBS. And they certainly want to get in on that. And, I guess Tom Brady has made. Um, I think he certainly helped his public image by joining Twitter, which is wild. Um, but he has cer- certainly shown on Twitter anyway that he is capable of being personable and not nearly as hated as his entire aura would make you want to hate him. I still hate him because I spent 20 years hating him and I'm not going to stop now. Um, but he has definitely shown a, a level of personability that I didn't think was present there. But uh, hey, what do you think? I'll tell you what, I think he's like straight up funny. He's funny. Like I, I have enjoyed pretty much everything he's posted on like Instagram and Twitter, like since he's essentially retired and started doing that and then just never stopped. But regardless, he's, he's a fun dude. I never thought I'd say that, but I would look forward to seeing him in the booth. I have no idea who his partner is. They said it, but like, I, I don't recognize who he would be. Um, but it doesn't even matter. It really doesn't. Just pick the guy who gets along with Tom Brady the most and can just feed him shit. Because uh, Kevin Lightning Burkhart, by the way. Sure. Yeah. You could have said any name. I don't think it would have changed whether or not I knew him. Um, I I think it could be really good. I think it could also be like hilariously bad, but I also don't expect that to happen. Yo, Kevin Kevin Burkhart's from Bloomfield, New Jersey. Ah, uh, uh, represent. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, how long? How long do you think it took for Tom Brady to earn, um, his first fucking what do you call it? Three hundred thirty. Let's go thirty-seven. Actually, no. How about this? Um, In twenty-two seasons, how much money has Tom Brady earned? 
Oh god, it's hard because he's taken so many good deals for the Patriots. Um, a lot of team friendly contracts. I'll there, say. Uh, let's say 15. So I'll say $310 million. 303. I was off by $7 million. Yeah, that was really years. impressive. Wow. Um, wow. How wild is that? That Tom Brady in 10 years will make more than double his NFL salary in 22 years. That's like, um, how wild is that? And the fact that he's still the second most wealthy person in that household. Is I know. Stupid. It, it, yeah, just um, genuinely like, could this be football's first billionaire? Well, no, because with the two of them combined, it would be oh, it'd be close, though, because the two of those figures combined would put him at just Brady's earnings. We'll put right. him at, let's just round it down a little bit. $675 million. So he would need $325 million to get to a billion. But I'm sure that over the course of his career, he's earned that in um, Without what do you question call it? For uh, sponsorships and shit. So he's got to be. Yeah. So I know this because of, you know, golf. Um, do you know how much Tiger Woods uh, is worth? Is worth like net yeah. net value? Yeah. Um, his well, I should say his career earnings with both prize money and endorsements. Six hundred million dollars. Okay. What would you attribute to on field earnings on the course? A lot less than that. Um, <laughs> Two hundred mil of the six hundred mil in my head, so a third. So, two hundred million dollars on the course. 400 million off the course, 600 million total. I'm, I'm trying to go low because I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. He's made $121 million in on course earnings. Okay. Off by 80 mil, which is a lot, but ballpark. Okay. With endorsement money of uh, $1.6 billion. <laughs> really off. I was really off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About, about one third. Of the way yeah. there, you were less than half of total, and just only eighty million dollars over what like the on course would be, which is silly. Wow. Okay. One point six billion dollars. And you know what? I bet he's been worth every penny because he is one of the world's oh most God. recognizable people. He. Even if you don't like golf, not, like he's uh, like, I remember being, I distinctly remember being like 11 years old and knowing who Tiger Woods was. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me to name another golfer outside of Arnold Palmer, because they sold fucking lemonade with his goddamn face on it. <laughs> I could not tell you another golfer, but I knew who Tiger Woods was. So I bet it was worth every fucking dollar. So the PGA tour implemented this program to essentially monetize, you know, both social media and positive impact you bring to the game. Basically like, look, we're trying to grow golf here. We're trying to grow our league. We've seen how bad MLB is at it. All right. If you guys, you know, interact with people on Twitter and you guys, you know, are in a bunch of commercials, like you're bringing people into the sport. We have this formula. We're going to divvy out $40 million 
to the top 10 in our rankings. Tiger Woods didn't play in an event last year and won it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he is. Um, yeah. He's he's Wayne Gretzky. I, I mean, if we did, we could do an entire episode just going into the absolute insanity that is Tiger Woods' career, and it would just be you just being like, if you could see a question mark over your head with like those like anime like pulses, like when you get stressed, like the the visualization of confusion, that would be you for an hour and twenty minutes because it doesn't make any sense. That's the thing. It's like I can under. It, it's like it's like the thing that we talk about a lot, or at least we talked about a lot with um, uh, baseball this past season, which is like we know that that TV money is where the money is, and sponsorship money is essentially marketing money, which is the same idea as TV money. You know, it's not the tickets mm-hmm. to the event; it's the um, like like the the value of knowing the face, you know, or or the the value of the likeness, essentially. Uh, and we know that's worth more than a ticket to the stadium, but it's like really getting a because it's so easy to be like what's a ticket to a baseball game cost depending on where you live well 15 bucks gets you in the stadium usually pretty consistently so it's like ah yeah 15 dollars i know i know 15 dollars i don't know i don't know 1.1 billion dollars i'll never know 1.1 billion dollars 1.6 fuck you I don't know 1.6 billion dollars. I don't know. I don't know a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like I can rationalize the ticket to the stadium price because even the most expensive ticket in Yankee Stadium I, for a one game, it's too much money if you want to sit in the le- legacy legend seats, legend seats. But, you know, it'd be like it's called a, a grand fifteen hundred bucks. And it's like that's a ridiculous amount of money. But like I know fifteen hundred bucks. I don't know a million dollars. Who knows a million dollars? Real quick, though, to get back to, to the football side of this, where we sure, started. Yeah. Um, how many years into Tom Brady's career did it take him to amass a total earning of thirty seven and a half million dollars, which will be now his um, new average salary per year from the Fox deal? I'm going to say so six years. He was drafted in what, 1999? His first salaried year with the Patriots I have here is 2000. Okay, so 2000, 2006. Um, I'll say, uh, I'll say 2007. You were close. It was actually 2006. Damn it. Uh, In 2006, with his earnings that season of 14 million dollars it dragged his career earnings up to 45 and a half million dollars prior to that year would have been under our 37 million dollar threshold at well 30 million dollars so it took him seven nfl seasons you know in, you know inclusive of the 2006 season seven nfl seasons to get up to an amount of money that he will now be making annually how many years how many individual seasons in Tom Brady's career has he earned more than $37 million? One. One last year. This past season. Yeah, that was it. And it was the only one that comes even close. The yeah. next highest this past year, he earned uh, $39,420,000. Before that, the only time he had come close was the year before that in 2020 
when he earned twenty eight point three million. And nothing else uh, comes remotely. He never earned more than 20 mil as a Pat. Um, actually, he earned more than 20 mil his last season with the Patriots, 23. <laughs> Outside of that, he never eclipsed 20. I, I mean, it's absolutely insane how we talked about this with Mike Trout and most recently, I think, with Juan Soto. But it's crazy how Mike Trout can sign a $500 million contract and by all accounts is underpaid. Tom Brady can make $30 million, $39 million in a season, be underpaid to the extent where he's retiring and getting a raise. Well, because that's, that's what I was about to say. His he's on field money on the team. impact. Yeah. His money, his financial impact for a football team is so fucking crazy. Him sitting on his ass talking about it is just a natural raise. It, he is slid. He is he is taking a pay cut to play in the NFL this season. He is slotted to make thirty million dollars from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season, and Fox Broadcasting Company is willing to pay him thirty-seven. He is giving away. He is actively not consuming or, or, or taking in seven and a half million dollars this year in order to play in the NFL. Now you could say that you know because the deal is 10 years, regardless of the starting point, that he is still earning the $30 million. I say, fuck you, because there's no way in hell that if at the end of those 10 years, Tom Brady doesn't receive some type of extension from Fox, because I'm sure he'll be good at it. And these people kind of never go away. So like they never stop doing this. This is all they do. Um, but it also like, you know, We've been saying, again, you and I, maybe not so much with football. It feels like the conversation revolves usually more around the baseball side of things. But we've been saying for years that the labor aspect of the game is so severely undervalued, you know, or that that is where the money should be going. The money should be in the hands of players. And obviously there's more players than there are broadcasters. But still, in a world in which a broadcaster a man who is solely sitting on a stool, ripping farts, talking about NFL games that they're happening in a way that certainly is more intuitive or, or, or uh, better constructed, uh, more intimately familiar than, than the vast majority of the viewing populace would be. Uh, but still, nonetheless, just talking about football is much, much easier than actually playing football. Otherwise, um, Mark Sanchez wouldn't be able to talk about football because he was barely good at it. So it's, it's wild that that it can be where this value is because we, we also often see again, maybe not necessarily in football specifically usually, but we so often see an undervaluing of the labor side of things. And this really highlights it. Mm -hmm. I'm honestly really excited to see it. I'm over Tom Brady as a player just as much as you are, but, I'm looking forward to the future of Tom Brady in the booth talking shit, cracking jokes, and just bragging about all the cool shit he's done. I'm content with that, Tom Brady. That makes one of us. Yeah. I, I want him it. to go away. I never want to hear his stupid fucking name again. I'm done, man. I am done. Oh, well. Ugh. I, I will have to deal. Anyway, the other NFL topic that we had for today, um, real quick, or the only other thing that's really happened in the last two days since we recorded, 
um, is Josh Lambeau, a former Jacksonville Jaguar kicker, is filing a lawsuit against the Jacksonville Jaguars, alleging that former head coach Urban Meyer created a hostile work environment and the team did nothing to help. Um, so he is saying that Meyer, Urban Meyer had um, kicked Lambeau and violated Florida civil, criminal and employment law concerning assault, battery and workplace violence in furtherance of an employee's interest, an employer's interest. So um, it, furthermore, the lawsuit says that uh, Meyer's actions impacted Lambeau's ability to sleep, practice and perform his duties at a high level, um, caused him emotional and mental distress. And he's seeing uh, pay owed damages and other legal fees. So a lot that goes into it. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you make of this kind of off, uh, off the rip here? Um, I think that if everything, I, I, I honestly forget so much about the details that Josh Lambeau came out with, but regardless of, you know, the factuality, of the matter, I would support Josh Lambeau in attempting to go after the NFL for its treatment of players in this way. I would wholeheartedly support it. Um, I honestly don't know what to expect from the results. I don't know if I would expect the NFL to be like, I, I just, I, like in succession I have never seen Logan get fucked and I've never seen the NFL get fucked and it's really hard to bet against the NFL when I uh, when have they genuinely like truly lost a case like this granted I don't think there's ever been a case like this but at the same time if I was a betting man I'm letting my money roll on the winner until we see otherwise. Um, well, if we're jumping ahead of that, I would assume that this gets settled out of court because I'd imagine that uh, secretly most NFL front offices are more like the Washington ones than they are dissimilar to the Washington ones. Um, I assume that of most sports uh, front offices, not just football, because uh, every time we hear about one of them, it's usually that. Very rarely is it like, oh, they were secretly the best. It feels like it's always like, yeah, they hired Mickey Callaway, who just kept trying to fuck everybody. Or uh, they hired this random GM down in Houston that just kept trying to fuck everybody. And it's like, oh, my God, how is it all of them? Um, so to that effect, rather than having um, discovery, it might be in the NFL's best interest to just say, like, you're Josh Lambeau. Here's like five million dollars. Like go have a blast mm -hmm. um, from a, from a standpoint, you know, from, from where Josh Lambeau is coming from, it's, it is very interesting because with how high performance, the role and responsibility of any professional athlete is, especially today, as we understand how carefully curated, not just like their workouts and their routines are, but like their diet, their sleep schedule, you know, their, their pregame rituals, all that type of stuff. It is also an interesting point as to like, where is the line to which an interruption of that uh, becomes detrimental to future earnings? You know, 
if you have somebody that is consistently fucking with your ability to perform at the level that you need to to maintain your career, especially in a positional group as volatile as kicker, which is not necessarily hyper important position, but nonetheless comes with a lot of volatility, even within the NFL sphere. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting point. Obviously, because sports franchises are still companies, fuck them. Um, if, if he was suing the Jets, fuck the, fuck the Jets. You know, like, you, players got to get their money while they can. The franchise will exist forever. So get whatever money you can get out of them before your playing career ends. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it is interesting because there's some stuff that is beyond anyone's control. There's some stuff you sign up for. You know, if, if, you, if, I have a, if I'm an NFL player... And I have a kid in September uh, that I am going to try to help take care of. Uh, and the NFL season starts in September. And if I actively try to help with that kid, like my sleep schedule is fucked. You know what I'm saying? Like that's mm-hmm. going to affect my ability to practice. But I sign up for that. But if I have a coach and like I'm staying in a, in a place that he has access to and my coach consistently and continuously um, personally interrupts my my sleep, you know, that would, that would be workplace harassment, you know, and, and if it again becomes detrimental to my performance, then it's an, it's an interesting point about, about lost wages and, and, and lost potentially lost future wages, depending on your season's performance. Yeah. I'm not sure how much credence I have the knowledge to even give to any of it, not a lawyer. Um, but again, with how meticulous the modern day athletes entire being is uh, it is throwing them off really is quite easy so you know those lines i think get a little bit thinner especially when one of the accusations which i uh, i'm just pulling out of my memory i feel like was substantiated by others was that urban meyer like physically kicked him out of practice that's what uh that's what he says as well lambo I think that is going to go a long way towards, hey, this is football. I get that. But you also should have some expectation of not being assaulted by your boss at any job. They fucked up George Patton for less. So, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was George Patton. (laughs) Not that it's an excuse, but like we're talking Urban Meyer. A guy during, who had to retire in disgrace. World War. Yeah. Numero dos, the big one with all the movies about it. Yeah. You know, it was funny. Corey and I, we just talked about Saving Private Ryan for our movies podcast using the big screen the other day. And uh, Corwin mentioned the Best Picture nominees that year about how Saving Private Ryan didn't win. I looked and three out of the five movies that year were about World War II that were nominated for Best really? Picture. <laughs> three out they? of five of the Best Picture nominees were World War II based. It was uh, Saving Private Ryan, um, Life is Beautiful, which is about Jews within the internment camps or the concentration camps, and uh, The Thin Red Line, which was about a specific man's remembrance of wow. World War II. Yeah. Didn't and like the other two line. were both like Shakespearean, like 1500s movies with uh, Shakespeare in love. And then there was um, uh, like like Queen Anne or some shit like that. Like uh, Romeo plus the- Juliet. Yeah, exactly. But how funny is that? Like, man, without I, World War Two, what would we have made movies about? <laughs> I tried watching Romeo plus Juliet the other day. Um, it is 
eccentric. It I remember, was a lot. I couldn't I remember watch, watching like, it in I high school and cringing it. even then. I liked it in high school. I did not like it now. <laughs> I didn't give it's, it an honest effort, but oof. I I mean, look, guys, there's only so cool you can make Shakespearean dialogue. It's 600 years old, like <sighs> 500, whatever. Let it go. Let yeah. it go. Anyway. Um, if you have nothing else for the NFL, I just uh, just walked upon a uh, interesting stat that I think would be. A, I want to hear your your thoughts on this. Light on me. Um, Matt, sorry, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the quarterback that we all know, I'm familiar and love, is not currently on any team's roster. He is a free agent. Okay. Yet has the same odds to win MVP in 2022 as reigning defensive player of the year, TJ Watt. Wow, that's sad. That is unacceptable. And that is because, I would assume, the NFL treats the MVP award as the best quarterback of the year award. And the likelihood of without making an argument out of it, one of the three best defensive players in the entirety of the NFL, um, giving him the same odds to win as a quarterback that is currently unsigned really speaks volumes to how unlikely Vegas would expect any defensive player to win that award. On a whole nother level of outrageous, he also shares MVP odds with Zach Wilson. Which is Fuck arguably you. even more insane. Zach Wilson is on a team, a starter on a team with a vastly improved offense, and also happens to be the reigning second overall pick. Well, that end, like, ignore all that shit for a second. You know what I mean? He's on a team. So there's a known quantity of what we're dealing with when confronting Zach Wilson. Like it is, it's impossible for Ryan Fitzpatrick to have the same odds. What if Ryan Fitzpatrick got signed by the Jets? That means that in the exact same situation, not only would he have all the same players, same coaches, blah 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 blah, he'd also have to bank on Zach Wilson getting hurt or playing so poorly they start Fitzpatrick like there's so many more things that have to happen and so many more unknown variables with Ryan Fitzpatrick situation to put him over any starting quarterback is wild at this point for those odds especially since it's not like this is a situation where Matt Fitzpatrick Ryan Fitzpatrick oh my god um is gonna is like some starting caliber QB waiting on a deal or a Deshaun Watson situation where he's a top end QB who might not play much, if at all this season, he's not an outstanding QB. He is probably the king of good enough. He has also forever been and forever like. will be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he went to Harvard, so he gets a couple points for that. Uh, where would he play? Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets signed tomorrow. Where do you see the headline being? Carolina. Oh, that's a great choice. Because Carolina does not have a starting quarterback. That's a great choice. 
it's like the only actual option. I was like, also gonna. I was gonna say Miami. Go back to Miami, maybe and just Atlanta. for insurance for Tua. I could, yeah. I mean, if uh, I mean Atlanta, their only QBs are Mariota and Desmond Ritter, and I'm pretty sure Mariota is like hurt. I also, I'm not convinced Atlanta wants to be good this season, so uh, I don't think they do. Yeah, so I don't think they'd even try. I am very convinced they are going all out. Them, um, the Seahawks, and who's, who are who's quarterbacking the, the Saints team? right now? Uh, Jameis. Oh, right, 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 right. Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter, Felipe Franks. That's not a great room. Yeah. I want to see. Uh, I want to see Seattle's depth because they're not doing too great. Uh, Geno Smith is the written in uh, starter, according to our lads for Seattle. What about what about about Locke? Drew Locke. He's listed as the number two. Granted, we're not even into training camp or OTAs yet, but he's listed as number two. Where's your OTAs? What's another outrageous team? The Dolphins, their backups, Teddy Bridgewater. It's not terrible. Not great. Not terrible. Uh, I don't know. I mean, unless anybody comes to mind. Nah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into into uh, baseball talk then. Let's start with uh, the guy that put up a stellar performance right after we finished being like, look at this fucking piece of shit. Um, and that is Reed Dietmeyers, who De- Detmers. I'm never going to get this motherfucker's name right. Reed Detmers who threw a no-hitter last night, or I guess Tuesday night as you're listening to this, for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, He went out there. Oh, God, I missed Corey Kluber's start. Holy fuck, wow. Um, Did not see what his whole... Uh, But uh, Reed Detmers went out there through nine complete innings, no hits, no runs, no earned runs, a single walk, but only two strikeouts. He faced uh, one over the minimum, 28 batters, and threw 108 pitches. 68 of them were strikes. 43 of them were um, strikes by contact, so foul balls or balls put into play. Um, Eight swinging strikes, 17 strikes looking, uh, 11 ground balls, 14 fly balls, four line drives, a game score of 88. Uh, An interesting performance, defense heavy for sure. and just an absolute, I mean, smoking by the Angels. Because uh, Corey Kluber on the other side of the ball, uh, three innings pitched, 11 hits, eight runs, all of them earned, two home runs, uh, two strikeouts, faced 20 batters. Um, surprisingly, his ERA only went up to 4.55. Uh, but yeah, wildly not good. Um, Jesus. Yeah, uh, it is the it's the second no hitter of the year. It's the first solo man no hitter of the year. Uh, the only other one being the the Mets combined no hitter. This is uh, Reed's first like full season with the Angels so far, starting in the rotation. He's already eclipsed his last year uh, inning pitched total, and he now has cut his ERA down to about half of what it was last season. 
so far in more innings pitched. He has allowed six, sorry, five, four, fuck me, four fewer runs uh, in 11 more innings pitched. Uh, is off to a really nice start to the season. Uh, that This start drops his ERA below four, which is where it was when we last spoke, which is one of the reasons why he caught some, some strays <laughs> from us. Um, did you watch any of this Angels game? I uh, did not. And I probably wouldn't have switched to it if I realized it was a no-hitter. Um, I had would have had zero faith in Reed Deepmers. Um, but, hey, I mean, I'm watching the Angels now. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I absolutely would not have watched this game either. Um, I'm just like lazy. Uh, but did you did you see uh, the Anthony Rendon bit that came out of that? Him him batting for the first time uh, ever left handed and hitting lighten it run. up. <laughs> yeah, lighten yeah. it up. Did you see the actual swing? Did you see? Did you, did you see? What you, no. Did you watch the video? No, I didn't please go find the video because his swing is honestly hilarious. Like I've always wondered this, like could guys switch hit at like a lower level just to kind of fuck around, like if the mechanics translate. And if watching Rendon do that is any indication of my theory, it is uh, that no, no, they can't. No, they cannot do it. Um, because it honestly looks more like a golf swing than a baseball swing. It looks like he's making fun of somebody else's swing. Yeah. Wow. Granted, he was going up against Brett Phillips, so he probably wasn't trying super duper hard. Uh, Brett Phillips in that uh, game in his relief appearance in the ninth inning, uh, one inning pitched, five hits, four runs, all of them earned. He let up two home runs. Um, no walks, no strikeouts. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I'm glad that that's where we've gotten to. I'm glad that we can allow player, the batters to have a little bit more fun in blowout games where the pitching team has given up. Like if there's a position player pitching, Mm -hmm. I don't, there's no rules anymore. Absolutely. No more. Absolutely. Like I, I've been dying to see more players hack it from the their opposite handedness at the at the plate, because fuck man, like if we're not going to institute a mercy rule and both sides are willing to just like knock it off, then fucking yeah, let's have a ball. That one highlight get, got more good press than Anthony Rendon hitting a regular style home run, a au natural home run. Could you imagine if like the attitude behind blowouts was just like let's just go out and have some fun right now like hey we'll finish playing nine innings but like we'll guarantee that we won't like go and try and score more than you let's just play some soft pitch softball and just score 25 more runs we'll let you keep the lead sure that'll be our unwritten rule the only one we got otherwise yeah here's some fucking lobs let's light this bitch up let's let's get do something to get the fans to enjoy it I mean, that's what I'm all about. Um, I'm trying to, what are some other good, like, blowout rules that they could go along with? Um, you have to bat opposite-handed. Um, you have to pitch op- opposite-handed to even things out. Um, you, no more gloves. 
That just sounds um, dangerous. That, 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 that's a defensive tool. Yeah, that just sounds uh, dangerous. Touche. Um, two gloves. Center fielder has mm. no gloves. Out corner fielders have two gloves. I got a great rule. So you have to relay it in. What's up? I got, I got a great rule. To speed things up, if there's a 10-run gap, uh, every hit has to be at least two bases. So you it's have to – or it's an out. So you have to try – like if you hit a, a bloop single, you have to go for two. You can't stop at first base. You have to go for second. So there's no just beating out an infield single. You know, you you have to make the turn and go for second. Okay. What about to get really crazy with it? Oh, go backwards, go fuck you, Rangers. Um, you get one pitch per player, but that pitch has to be a strike. So you throw a strike. If they swing and miss, that guy's out. If you throw a strike and he, he hits it, whatever, he gets the hit. But if it's a ball, he takes a base anyway. So just one pitch at bats. One pitch at bats. No, I don't want that. Okay. I want because then 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 they don't get to be goofy to each other. Like, you know, those moments where like um, mm. like Anthony Rizzo throws like a really stupid looking ball to Freddie Freeman and Freddie Freeman just laughs at him. Like, that's a great moment. That video still gives me gives me some some serotonin. You know, what's one that would actually like be doable and also wouldn't completely break the game like scoring wise or anything like that. Pitchers have to hit hitters have to pitch they just switch roles all the the dugout goes out to the bullpen the bullpen comes sits in the dugout starts warming up everyone's gonna suck at what they do except for otani but you just switch roles completely okay i think i think mlb would never actually do any of this it'd be up to teams to like unwritten rule this shit but the fun ones (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the unwritten rules of having a good time. Um, but it would, a lot of this would be fun. Is it a shame that the angels won this game 12 to nothing instead of like four nothing? Cause we have spent now significantly more time talking about the blowout aspect of it. than we have the fact that, Oh, also read Detmers through a no hitter. Yeah, cause um, somebody gives it like, if it was like Shohei Otani throwing a no hitter or Noah Syndergaard throwing a no hitter for them. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Like, we enjoy watching them. This is just like, well, yeah, the ball is absolutely dead. League batting average is 230. The fact that it's taken this long to get a no-hitter is probably the most surprising aspect of this no-hitter. That's that's a good point, actually. Yeah, we had, what, three by this time last year? Yeah. Which, not saying that's necessarily better, but... um, it does definitely feel a little bit different. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Um, I just want anyway. normal baseball, man. Speak for yourself. Uh, Reed Detmers, uh, he threw uh, 46 forcing fastballs, 27 curveballs, 24 changeups, 10 sliders, and the one random cutter. To that point, why'd you even throw it? Uh, he induced 10 swing and misses. One of the one of which was the cutter. So he threw a cutter one time, got a swing and miss on it. And was like, ah, I'm just putting that one back in my pocket. <laughs> We're never doing that again. 
Um, that's the I fucking need a strike or I'm going to die type pitch think- where you never use it. So nobody expects it. But you have to have that pitch in your arsenal. I wish you could tell me where it was to. thrown, because I almost wonder if he if it was like the seventh or eighth inning and he was getting kind of nervous and he just gripped the ball wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, like you're kind of getting caught up in the moment a little bit, but you're trying not to let yourself get caught up in the moment. So you grab the ball a little wrong, but you don't notice it. And it cuts in and you're like, oh, all right. Not what I meant to do, but glad it worked. Yeah. We're not going to try that again, but oh, my God, I'm so glad it worked out. That could have been ugly. Hanging a, you know, change up middle, middle. Yeah. Curve ball that doesn't break because you're not going to you're not you're not going to get to a no hitter and be like, you know, what? this would be the perfect time for trying out a pitch. I don't know how to throw. You know what you would think? But there have been times where I've been golfing where I'm like, I'm hitting everything well today. I haven't hit this club well ever. It's working today, though. Let's give it a shot. And then it doesn't work because, of course, it wouldn't. But you have that confidence in yourself where you're like, this is the time to try it out. Why not? Hold on. I'm sorry, but I think this might be the only cutter he's ever thrown in his fucking life because I'm looking at his baseball savant page and going through his pitch usage breakdown and Man, the cutter doesn't. It's not here. It's it's literally not even can, here. Can you message him on Twitter and be like, "Hey, did you mean to throw this?" I mean, man, I am I am looking at his pitch usage, and the cutter is not here. This might be his first cutter. This might be the only one he's ever like so so far. In um, what year is it? 2022. He has thrown uh, 235 forcing fastballs, 118 curveballs, 88 sliders, and 43 changeups. You, you know what pitch I didn't just say? All right. Uh, so cutter. I'm now actually convinced that my theory is right. Yeah, I'm convinced that that cutter was an absolute mistake. I believe it. That's fucking funny. Uh, anyway, so he got 10 whiffs total, one of which was on the cutter, one single whiff on the forcing fastball, which is kind of odd. Um, three on the curveball and five on the changeup. Um, he had 17 uh, call strikes, as we had mentioned. So his uh, CSW percent for each pitch, 20% on the four seamer, 41% on the curveball, uh, 21% on the changeup, and then 100% on the cutter, um, which is just, again, so funny. Uh, induce the most to learn a cutter now, right? He should, he should make it a thing. Uh, he had 16 foul balls and, and 25 total balls in play, which again is really interesting considering the fact that he only faced 28 batters, which means that 25 of them. So all but three batters had their balls put in play, um, which uh, the rate is astonishing there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to have some pretty astonishing numbers to uh, throw a no-hitter. Yeah, it, it definitely. this one definitely feels the most. And, you know, just real quick, again, it makes sense. He only had two strikeouts. So, actually, now I'm wondering. No, because he only need 27 of the outs. Yeah, he faced 20 batters. We only need 27 outs. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. But it, it really is wild. You know, no-hitters really are a team sport or a, a, a team a team occurrence. Um, to rely on your your defense to get you 25 outs is you know significant 
very yeah. so mm-hmm. and congrats to the kid um yeah good for him i don't know what this means for his career necessarily he still has a, a, a lot to prove being the angels number one prospect and still kind of having a rocky start to the season even inclusive of this no hitter he is still not above the 50th percentile in anything other than walk rate so everywhere else he has been subpar to bad so again still a lot to prove but a really really great start from 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 the the the, the rookie so uh here's hoping for more great moments from the angel start of the season yeah. hope and pray hope and pray um, speaking of great starts to the season, just figured we'd close on on a, on a phenomenon that we uh, really Nestor Cortez Jr. Boat. What'd you say? Nestor Cortez Jr. No, we talked about him already. Um, it's now time to talk about something that's probably going to break both of our bold predictions at various points, which is the fact that the Diamondbacks and the Rockies um, both decided to be good this year, which is strange good so far good so far which still though is more than i was expecting yeah i was not expecting good period um hold on one second talk yeah so um i figured we could spend a little bit of time just looking at the diamondbacks and rockies and seeing how they've managed to achieve these modicums of success now they're not tearing it up necessarily um, in terms of the standings, they are still fourth and fifth in their division, but both teams are over 500 and we're almost halfway through the month of May and being even slightly above 500 is a lot more than I expected from them. I mean, if you told me at this point in the season that the Colorado Rockies would uh, have, I don't know, three and a half or three and a half games ahead of uh, the Phillies. Should they have been in the same division? I would be pretty fucking surprised. Mm -hmm. And yet that's, I mean, that's where we are. Who is, so I know Zach Gallen is having a great year. I know Dalton Varsho and Merrill Kelly are having good years there because we just talked about them. Who's having a good year and, in Colorado. Well, that's kind of what's confusing, isn't it? Like, I, you no know, we've heard knows. a lot about the Diamondbacks rotation and, and how, you know, you know, we just talked about uh, sh- uh, showed some surprise in them the other day. Uh, but the, you know, with Chris Bryant hurt, it's like, who are the Rockies and what are they accomplishing? And um, I'll tell you, man, it gets even more surprising once I tell you the ERAs I'm staring at in their starting rotation. Um, Go on. So their number one starter by innings is Austin Gomber. He is two and three. Naturally. And his ERA is 4.36. Kyle Freeland back at it. Almost 30. That feels weird. He's one and three to start the season. Um, and he has an ERA. that's not bad Four three point nine four. 3.94. So, you know, uh, under four, but not great. Um, Herman Marquez is having another Jekyll and Hyde season. He has in 32 innings and oh, and three start to the season and a 6.47 ERA. Of course. Chad Cool is off to a really hot start. Uh, 29.2 innings, a 1.82 ERA. He's 3-0 to start the season. And then Antonio Senzatella has 27.2 innings, uh, is 2-2, two and, two and has an ERA of 4.88. So 
not a ton of decisions in the starting rotation. And most of the decisions are losses. There's a lot more success in the bullpen. Whereas Jules Chassin, despite his 7.43 ERA in 13.1 innings, somehow has a three and one um, in the decision column, which I, well, wow. But um, their bullpen's pretty jilted as well. Again, Chassin's 7.43 ERA. Uh, Carlos Estevez's um, 5.19 ERA highlights like Justin Lawrence, who's um, I think currently hurt 2.19 ERA, Daniel Bard's at 1.64 and Tyler Kinley's at 0.79. So really, if they can get a lead then that part of their bullpen can help them, but you go into the depth part of their bullpen and there's not a single, there is one single ERA under five in the, the depths of the bullpen. Everybody else is over six. Everybody else is over six. The two of them are really good. Yeah, I guess, so I guess three of them. You might say, well, the team must be mashing. And no, they're really not. Um, their OPS plus is 103 as a team. Yeah. They are distinctively not mashing. Um, their oh, hottest God, hitter is still CJ Crone and his 166 OPS plus. Um, they have four batters total in the uh, bulk of their lineup that is hitting above a 100 OPS plus CJ Crone, um, Jose Iglesias at shortstop 125, Ryan McMahon at uh, third base 107, and um, Johan, sorry, Jonathan Daza uh, at center field with a 135. Connor Joe, who I'm not convinced is a real person, has a 132 OPS plus as a utility player, and Grichik, Randall Grichik, has a 113. Um, the guy who's better over. than Mike Trout. Drafted in front of him. That's all that counts, baby. Um, so it's just odd. And like, if we look at their, some of their expected stats, like the, the teams, the Arizona Diamondbacks expected batting average. Oh, sorry. We're talking about the, the Rockies. My bad. Um, although uh, that would be really fun to jump into them, but I'll, uh, I'll leave them to the side for a moment. The, uh, the Rockies expected batting average is actually uh, 257, which is relatively middle of the roads. So, like they're doing, they're doing fine. Um, it's confusing. They're not really, it doesn't seem like they're doing well anywhere. They're in the bottom third, bottom three teams within the league for, um, exit velocity. So that's obviously bad. Um, like their, their Woba and their Wobacon are, uh, in the top three and top 7% of the league respectively, but none of their expected stats really line up to that. So it's pretty fair to say, I would think that they're massively outperforming their, um, their actuals. And even then they're not even outperforming about like very much. You know, yeah. it's just a weird, oh weird God. team. Um, I found their home road splits. Um, at home this season. So overall, they're 16 and 14. At home, they are 11 and 5, scoring 92 runs while allowing 75. On the road, they are 5 and 9, 40 runs scored, 80 runs allowed. Oh, God. That's surprising that they're allowing that many runs because usually, you know, um, now the ball moves more at cores. So, all right. I mean, a differential of what 17 runs 
over the course of 16 games, yet they have a, you know, they're six games over 500. That's, that's screaming um, regressing to the mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Diamondbacks feels a little (laughs) bit more sustainable, but go ahead. They also played a series against Cincinnati where they swept them 24 to eight. In uh, runs. Well, haven't that, we all? That goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. At some point, we're going to have to talk about how bad the Reds are, but let's at least be nice to. and talk about how good, how much better than it expected these two teams are. The Reds. Have they won a game since last time we talked shit about them? Uh, I think they've won one game. Uh, let's see. The Reds are currently, hold on. Um, Oh wow! Baseball references six and twenty-four. Fast. Also, they've won a they've won a couple games since the last they, time we talked. They about have them. gone three and two since we last talked about them. Wow! The winning over five hundred in that stretch. Look at winning that winning record. Yeah, my baseball reference is furious at how they many have, have open. three players Just that three, are huh? batting over a hundred OPS. Their team OPS. Do you want to take a guess? OPS plus, I should say. 85. 72. Oh, my God. I thought I was being so team. fucking mean. Oh, my God. Tommy Pham, OPS plus of 104. Catcher Tyler Stevenson, OPS 147. Brandon Drury, OPS plus of 148. Joey Votto, OPS plus. Take a guess. I think it's bad this year, which is sad. I want to say 95. 95, uh, a little off, 19. Oh, my God. I didn't want to be mean to Joey. That's so bad. 122, 278, 135 slugging for a 413 OPS. Yeah, yeah his in Cincinnati is over. 90 plate appearances. Uh, hopping back over okay. to the Rockies real well, quick. Well, uh, the Rangers just scored two goals to tie it up. So, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. What? Uh, nothing. Um, there's the they have a team ERA plus of 71. They're oh, the best, Reds. Right, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, here, let, let's talk about the teams that we had yeah, planned on talking about. Right. We can say we can do the Reds later. That's there, it's a whole mess we got to talk about. Um, so for the Rockies. Their 103 OPS plus as, as an organization is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So like dead ass, like league average. Their uh, team ERA of 97 puts them in the bottom 10 teams in the league. So the fact that they're even above 500 probably is not going to hold very, very long. Mm-hmm. It seems very fortuitous, and, and um, I'm not going to go through the game log, but based on the plus-minus that Corbin just kind of illustrated, um, it sounds like they're vastly outperforming their Pythagorean record as well and probably just, like, winning games, um, you know, five to four and then losing games seven to nothing would be my my fucking guess here. They're actually, baseball reference tells you their Pythagorean win and loss, which would be thir- thir- 13 and 17. Um as they have allowed 23 more runs than they have um, uh, scored. So, yeah, the Rockies' hot hot start is luck more than anything. 
the Diamondbacks, though, is a little bit more interesting. They're also still outperforming their metrics by a bit, but in a way that likely could hold a little bit better. Yeah. Um, they, they, the, uh, the, who, the, who, the, what's this? the diamond, the Arizona diamondbacks, um, boy, howdy, they're not hitting super well. Um, they have a team OPS plus of, uh, 89. Um, and to that effect, they have the lowest expected batting average in all of baseball two twenty six. So, they're just not hitting the ball super duper hard. Um, it also shows in their slugging, which is in the bottom 10 in the league at 411. Um, and they're expected weighted on base, which is also in the bottom 10%, 10 teams of the league at um, 318. There, it, it, it's bad. Um, they have fucking like, they have four players over a 100 OPS plus uh, Christian Walker. David Peralta, Dalton Vershow, and Pavin Smith. That that's it. That's that's it. You know what Carson Kelly, who's currently on the 10-day IL, but still has the most starts at catcher. You know what his OPS plus is? Did I tell you this the other day? You do not. Negative 19. Hi. How? Uh Carson Kelly is currently uh slashing 105, 150, 123. He has a single extra base hit, one double, that's it, um, two walks to 20 strikeouts. The fact that he has three runs scored is honestly insane uh, because he has six hits and two walks, which means he's been on base um, from from those instances. Oh, he has a hit by pitch, too. All right, so he's been on base a total of nine times and has scored on three of them. So he has, has a, is a run scored in 30% of his plate appearance or uh, uh, trips to the, to, to, to first, which is, oh, it just seems like too many. It just seems like way too, way too many times to be, to be scoring when you don't get on base that much. Um, boy, how he does it, but they're pitching on the other hand is like fucking fantastic. Uh, it's just a real head scratcher. Um, Merrill Kelly has an ERA of 1.22. Madison Bumgarner has an ERA of 1.78. Holy shit. Zach Davies has an ERA of 3.34. Zach Gallen has an ERA of 0.95. And then the the lone guy with an ERA over three and a half is Umberto Castellanos, who has an ERA of 4.32, which for your fifth starter is kind of fine. If your fifth starter has a three five ERA, four point three good, sure, doesn't matter. That's excellent. Yeah. Now the I don't the think fifth... the Rockies have a starter that has a three five ERA. Uh, I still have their page up. I can tell you, um, <laughs> Chad Cool. That's it. It's the only guy. Ooh. Everybody else is is over that. Yeah. Um. The FIPS are, are a little bit more disparate. Um, Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen both have uh, within the realm of a 2.1 FIP. So their ERAs are definitely outperforming their FIPS, but you know, you know, their FIPS are still good. Those FIPS would still be good ERAs. So no, no big deal. Davies and gut and Bumgarner seem to be getting maybe a little bit more lucky Bumgarner with a 4.68 FIP and Davies with a 4.25 FIP. So they're, they're both starting off uh, a lot hotter than maybe some of their 
Um, and I know FIP, using FIP is very lazy, but I'm lazy. So um, they're outperforming the metrics by a little bit. Umberto Castellanos seems to be underperforming his FIP as he has a 3.42 FIP. Um, but still, honestly, none of these are like, I mean, Madison Bumgarner is going to get worse, but mm-hmm. um, none of these are even <laughs> that crazy. I like the I like that the guy who has, I'm pretty sure he has a World Series MVP trophy is the one that you're like, oh, I'm certain he's going to be the one that regresses the most. Yeah. That and his yeah, yeah, yeah. and his FIP is three entire <laughs> runs worse than his ERA. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough metric to overcome. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I was dirty. The bullpen's been hot. There's only one single guy over a 3.6 ERA in the bullpen. It's no Ramirez. Everybody else is under that. Two players under a two ERA. One guy under a one guy under a run. Um, I mean, really, the pitching has been, relatively speaking, lights the fuck out. Um, as a team, they've only uh, they've only a- allowed uh, 101 earned runs. Formations. 101 earned runs for the whole the whole team the whole time. How many earned runs do you think the Rockies have allowed? Um, earned runs of seven seventy two. Oh, it's more. They have a worse ERA. Uh, math is hard. Yeah, one thirty six. A lot more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot more run. Third, it's thirty. It's thirty-five more runs. Thirty-five more earned <laughs> runs. Yeah. How many? How many earned runs do you think the uh, Dodgers have allowed as a team so far this year? They're twenty and eight. It can't be that many runs, right? Give me a number. Corwin. Uh, I'll oh, say. Okay. I'll say seventy-nine. Oh, wow. Hold on one second. Um, hold on. All right. So your guess was what? 79. Yeah. Uh, 59. Damn it. 59. Yeah. That's the, uh, it's the fewest. It's the fewest in all of baseball. Of course. Yo, man. How many do you think the Cincinnati Reds have allowed so far to start the year? 159. 183. <laughs> oh my God. What's funny is 159 would be the second worst. Like 159 was a good guess. Like that For would be second worst. Team. Yes, absolutely. It would have been second worst. But no, the Reds were like, fuck your face. We're worse than that. What's the difference between the runs the Dodgers have given up and the Reds? 130? Um, 100, 124. 124 more. more. AKA how, the how entire many teams number of runs. Up? All of the runs the Kansas City Royals have allowed. <laughs> That's the difference. Jesus Christ. How the many teams have scored, have given up more than 100 and whatever runs? More than 124 runs. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, the, the Braves, the Rockies, the Pirates, the Nats, and the Reds are the only teams that have allowed more than 124 runs. So the gap between number one, the Dodgers, and number 30, the Reds, is bigger than most teams in baseball what's the gap between uh the last two teams 30 some 37 earned runs wow 37 earned runs do you think that gap ever is greater than the total amount of runs the dodgers have given up do you think the gap between worst and second to worst 
is larger than the amount of runs actually given up by the best team? No, I don't think it will because I would expect the Reds to get better, not get good, but get better. Like they're out underperforming their FIP by over almost a run and a half. You know, like it's bad. So they're not good. You know, their five five FIP as a team is still the worst in baseball, but they're outperforming that or underperforming that, I should say. Um, whereas the Dodgers, because their ERA is so low and, you know, um, FIP tends to be meaner than that, are underperforming or are overperforming their, their FIP by a little bit. So I would expect the Dodgers to give up slowly a, a few more runs and the Reds to start giving up a few fewer runs. Um, which will just prevent that gap from widening too much. But I could also be making that shit. All right, how about this? Um, let me look at, I'm going to look at last year's stats to see the see if we can find that gap. Um, so let's see. The team with the fewest earned runs allowed last season was also the Dodgers, 486. Um, the team with the most earned, ru- earned runs um, pitching staff was the Baltimore Orioles with 910. So the gap between those two teams is whatever that is, 424 runs, um, which is a lot. That's almost you know double what the Dodgers did, but every team allowed more than that amount. So it's not nearly as grave of a difference as we're looking at uh, at the present point in time. The gap between worst and second worst is oh so many. It's 106 runs. The Diamondbacks had allowed 804 last season. Oh. Um just oh so many runs so it, it's tough to okay hold on what's more wild now uh that the the orioles had allowed twice as many earned runs as the dodgers almost or that the gap between one and two last year for most earned runs 104 the gap this year is a quarter of that and we're not a quarter of the way through the season yet. What? The gap between one and two right now is 27 earned runs, right? Yeah. We've only played 30 games. So we're one fifth of the way through the season. But to get to 104 runs, that's only four times the current gap between 29 and 30. So we're uh, they're on pace to allow over 130 more earned oh. runs than the second worst team. Fuck. Josh, that's not good. No, and it's not like the Orioles were just like regular bad last year. <laughs> no, they were like wow. No, yeah. Yeesh. I this tamale is just too hot. What do you think? Um, huge, big old deviation. But what do you think the career combined WAR is for the Arizona Diamondbacks pitching pitching staff? Like the 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 starters, the rotation uh, WAR this year, or do you say career WAR? Career. Um. I mean, Bumgarner really throws that off. I have no idea what he is. I want to say he's at like 
30. I'll say 40. Okay, so Bumgarner himself is at about 40. Okay. There's a chance that still holds true. There's a chance everyone else sucks. So you got Bum. Uh, Bumgarner's 40. There's now four other guys. Yeah. What do their career wars total? Um, and uh, all so, these guys are 25 or over. I mean, Merrill Kelly's 30. Yeah. So Merrill Kelly, Zach Allen, Zach Davies. He has sneaky war. Um, I'll say 30. So I'll say 70 total. 64.6. Dang, close. So Madison Bumgarner is 39.8 of that. Merrill yeah. Kelly career war, 6.2. Zach da- Davies career war, 9.2. Zach Gallon career war, 8.9. And Umberto Castellanos, so this is his first season, so not super. Oh, wow, this is his third season. Never mind. I'm a fucking idiot. 0.5. Um, that is just not a lot for a rotation, man. No. No. Um, who do you think has the highest total war for their starting rotation? For this season? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Because Zach Gallon has Padres. the... Oh, oh, oh. I, see what you're I thought you meant specifically the um, Diamondbacks. Well, it's got to be guys who have legacy players. If you're going to go career war, or do you mean single season this season? Uh, career. Because the Dodgers have some legacy guys, you know? Yeah. I mean, Kershaw. The Royals also have um, uh, uh, Zach Greinke. So they they might be sneaky high on this list, too. The Padres jumped out because they have um, have Darvish. Kalev, I feel like he's only had a handful of good seasons. Same with Snell. He had one great one, but that was really it. I don't think he went super high with war that year. I mean, the Dodgers are just like the stupid easy bet to take. Um, For the most, Cardinals, how are they good ways? Yeah, the Cardinals are probably up there because Wainwright probably has a bunch. I don't know who else their starters are. That's also part of it. I don't know how like where all the old starters are in baseball. Yeah, this might be a future topic because I don't care enough to do this query right now, but I am now tacitly intrigued. Yeah, because um, who has good old, old who has all the old guys? Yeah, that's what I'm looking up. And my baseball reference is wildly uncooperative today. Uh, so the Royals, Zach Greinke, Brad Keller, Chris Bubik, Carlos Hernandez, Daniel Lynch slash Brady Singer. I don't think that gets it done. Ooh, the White Sox, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, Dallas Keuchel, Michael Kopech. They have two young guys in there. Giolito's had a good couple years. Lynn and Keuchel have had a bunch of good years. That might be a good one. Okay, finally. Hold on. I'm looking for... The war leaderboard. Boy, the Rangers, Rangers starting lineup is uh, bad. Just so bad. Yeah, it is. I have win probability added. I'm going to use that. Active career win probability added for pitchers. 
I mean, when healthy, the Mets are pretty darn good. Scherzer, the Mets, the Mets have to have over seven inches between Scherzer and Degrom. Yeah. Carrasco's up there too. Chris oh, Bassett. Yeah. All right, so the active career leaders in WAR. Let's see how much, how long it takes to get two overlapping guys, uh, or win probability at it because there wasn't a WAR option. That's just pitchers. Uh, Kershaw, Verlander, Granke, Scherzer, Sale, Kenley, Jansen. Uh, yeah, win probability at it. That's why. Kimbrel and then uh, and then there's Degrom right there. So Scherzer Degrom will wow. be. Yeah. Card Cardinals, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, Stephen Matz, Miles Mikolas, Dakota Hudson. I don't think that takes it, but that's I think that's a top five team. How much how much war? No, it's gotta be the Dodgers. The Dodgers are just gross with war. They are warlords after all. Because we we just looked at Scherzer and Degrom's ward literally the last episode, and I want to say yeah. they have they've got to have seventy five between the two of them, um, at least. Yeah. All right. So looking at WAR pitchers, Granky has the most. Wow, I would not have picked Granky. I would I would have picked Kershaw, who has second most WAR. Um, yeah. Where's Verlander? Then, uh, third, Verlander, okay. uh, and then Scherzer. And then Chris Sale, Adam Wayne, right? So still no overlapping teams. And and yeah, and then there's DeGrom. So again, Scherzer DeGrom is a big one. Uh, next set of overlapping teammates would be uh, Price, Kershaw and Price mm. would also overlap. I don't think Price is in the rotation this year, but uh, for but this exercise. on the Dodger. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, Kluber, where's Johnny Cueto pitching right now? I forget. I don't think he is. I thought he was somewhere. He's listed as an active player. Johnny um, Cueto. Uh, White Sox. Oh, shit. I underestimated Scherzer. So, oh, so, all right. So between Scherzer and DeGrom, um, they have over 100 war right there. Ooh. Yeah, I forgot Scherzer had 67 war. I was conflating his war with DeGrom's war, which is 42.4. Um, so they have about 110 war between just the two of them. Yeah, and then Cueto has not pitched this season. Well, um, it's gotta, it's gotta be the Mets then, and then Strasburg, and then Cole, Lance Lynn. That's just hilarious. Anibal Sanchez, you Darvish. Yeah, it's gotta, it's the Mets. It's gotta be the Mets. Yeah, that's just a two-headed dragon that just doesn't get overcome. What's no, Carlos Carrasco? Especially, I'll look it up. Um, Especially considering the fact that I'm willing to bet most teams are built like um, Carlos Carrasco's 77th for all players. He has a career 21.5 war. Nice. Um, There's 130 war between those three players. I'm willing to bet most teams are built honestly more similar to the um, Diamondbacks than dissimilar, where you have like one, maybe two guys who have had good careers and have 20 to 40 war, and then a bunch of guys um well whereas the mets have a number of two career giants and then also good people behind them so yeah it's got to be the mets uh steven matz and chris bassett uh between the two have another 20 oh steven matz is on the cardinals now is he yeah he has he hasn't been on the mets in years and what was i looking at i have no idea steven matz was just on the Blue Jays for I think two well, seasons. I, I was just looking at their. 
I must have just seen Steven Matz for a different team. You must have. Um, he has not been on the Mets for a, so a few years. Other than Miguel, it's who? It doesn't matter, but... Uh, oh, Taiwan Walker, who has seven and a half, so... 0.3 less than Steven Matz, so... Oh, well. Same difference. All right, well, we have been tangential for long enough. Let's get out of here so we can finish watching one of us be sad with our hockey team. Um, all right, well, if you would like to uh, follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.